there, it's me again, Angela Daly, your Rule of Law Rules podcast host with the next episode of our new series on legal technology. Welcome back to our regular subscribers and a warm welcome to anyone listening for the first time. You have tuned into the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization and gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. So after finding out about legal tech in the Middle East and Europe, we're travelling again, this time to Africa, with Odun Longe. We are delighted to welcome Odun, who will tell us more about legal technology in her part of the world. Odun is a Nigerian legal tech lawyer who is the Hague Institute Innovation Hub Head for West Africa. She is co-founder of TLP Advisory, a venture law practice where she represents venture builders and their funders, and she is also co-founder of DIY Law, an award-winning and leading legal technology startup in Africa. So hello and welcome, Odun. Thanks very much for joining us. Hello, Angela, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the session today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. That's great. (laughs) We're looking forward to talking to you too. To introduce yourself, our regular listeners will know that we like to start and end our episodes with some quick-fire questions. I will start a sentence, and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Legal technology is my favourite topic because... It combines the best of everything I love. It combines technology, it combines entrepreneurship, and of course, it combines legal stuff. The first time I realized the importance of legal technology was? When I started working with startup founders, when I started a law firm, and I realized I didn't have enough money to hire people, more lawyers to work, and um, there was a demand for our, what do you call it, for our services. So it was more affordable to look for how to solve the problem using legal tech. Finally, legal tech is not a new development for West Africa because... It is a new development for West Africa. (laughs) So legal tech is still upcoming and it's one of the things I enjoy about my job, trying to find people who are working in legal tech in West Africa and supporting them and hoping that we're able to make something out of legal tech in West Africa. We're very interested to hear more about all of this. Now moving to our longer questions, can you firstly tell us how you started to work on legal tech? Um, My background originally was, you know, I was working in an investment bank um, as a corporate lawyer and um, I got more excited about working with my friends who were going into tech, who were starting tech startups. So my first foray into tech and legal, not necessarily legal tech, was being a lawyer for tech startup founders. So I left my job in investment banking to start a startup focused law firm. Um, Along the line, we, it was just my co-founder and I, right? Along the line, we needed to help more clients. We couldn't afford, the clients were not paying us enough to hire more lawyers. So we had to be innovative of how to scale, with how to scale our services. And that's when we started DIY Law. So that was my, like my first foray into legal tech. So we started reading up on, you know, we discovered the rocket lawyers, the legal zones, and like, okay, let's do one for our country. Let's do one for Nigeria. And that was my foray into legal tech. And since then, it's been a journey of no return, you know. So you said in the quick questions that legal tech actually is a new development uh, for your part of the world. Do people now understand what legal tech is? Is it a well-known concept or is it something that people are just not very sure about? 
Um, I think the word I would use is it's an emerging concept. You know, it's um, a new concept. You will speak to some people and they immediately get it and know what legal tech is. And for some people, it's kind of new. And I think part of it is because the legal industry is conservative and then, you know, the region itself is conservative as well. So technology in general is, although it's growing fast, you know, but technology in general is something that most West Africans and Nigerians are becoming more familiar with, embedded into their everyday lives. So legal tech is kind of also playing catch up. Now, most people, you talk about fintech and they get it because it's almost like essential into what they do, payments and um, savings and banking and financial inclusion. But legal tech, I think it's, it's getting there, especially you know, with the drive for access to justice, you know, helping people get justice or legal services at a more, in a more convenient and affordable manner. That's very interesting. So um, can you tell us a bit more then about how technology is interacting with the legal sector? Is it disrupting the sector or is it really complementing other sorts of currents in the legal industry in West Africa? For now, I would say it's complementing because um, it hasn't gotten to that tipping point where it kind of like, you know, changes everything and disrupting everything. But for now, you find that um, more law firms are using technology to be more efficient, um, more from the legal side than from the judiciary. So, of course, you're also beginning to have like electronic law reports and um, being able to, instead of going into a library and leaving, um, going through the pages to find case references, so more people are beginning to rely on electronic law reports. And I am... Um, you know, using Nigeria for an example, one of the first legal tech companies, not startup, but companies was a, a company digitizing law reports. And um, one of the ways I'll give an example. So there was some resistance when the company started. And one of the ways the company was able to break into and to get people to adopt was to offer to install, and this was the days before software as a service, so they had to come install the software into the company. So one of the ways that they did that was by installing their software in judges' computers for free. So when the judges are referencing the law reports, it made it easier for lawyers to then adopt the same thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll call it, I'll say complimenting for now. There's still no disruption yet where it totally uh, changes the way things are done. But for now, it's making things more efficient and it's making things more seamless. What about specific technologies? We've heard a lot internationally about AI and AI being used in the legal sector. Is AI being used in West Africa in the legal sector at the moment? Yeah, so it's, again, it's one of those things that I would say is emerging. So when you look at Africa, I think most of the technologies that you will find in, in um, most of the technologies that you will find are technologies that make, that are more essential, that, you know, phone penetration in Nigeria, um, mobile penetration, is still about 10 to 15%, right? We're not yet at that 60%. So, you know, you have to, for now, I think the, um, the technologies that are fast moving are those that are low tech, that are easy to move over the AI. Now, there are some AI, um, there's um, Law Party, for instance, that uses AI and chatbots to respond to inquiries. So it's a legal information blog, and they use AI to determine questions and all of that. But I think um, when you're looking for the mass markets, it's less of the AI-type technologies, but I, I believe that it, with time, this will be more um, widely adopted. Great. Very interesting to watch. What about developments more generally in the region of West Africa in legal tech? Are there particular countries that are leading the way? Are there particular applications of legal tech which are more popular or widespread than others? 
I think the most widespread, what you will find mostly are things that make contracting and doing businesses easier. DIY platforms are very um, popular. You'll find quite a number of that because what people really want to get is access to services. So you find a lot of the DIY kind of platforms. Then also things that make um, platforms that make contracts less ambiguous. Personally, some of the legal tech things I like, uh, legal tech startups I like, I would mention, although not um, West African from South Africa, it's called um, Creative Contract. So it is not tech in the way you mean it, but it's basically um, animations and cartoons and interpreting contracts so that everyone, irrespective of the language barrier or the educational barrier, is able to understand what they're getting into. And it's being used by large firm holders, so you find a lot of farmers, low-income farmers, understanding the contracts they're getting into. So I really like that. One of the things I also like, and um, one of the technologies you will find a lot also are those that help with um, reporting violations, reporting emergency contacts. So you find a lot of um, reporting technologies and being able to access lawyers um, in an emergency situation, whether you're wrongly arrested or whether you're facing some form of violence, usually gender-based violence as well. So you find a lot of such technologies being widely adopted as well because they're helping people access help and access services. Oh, yeah, very interesting. And I guess kind of very much driven by demand and what people actually need and maybe normal people as well, rather than lawyers. (laughs) Absolutely. So what about the regulatory environment for legal tech in the region? Is it something that uh, governments and legislatures have started to look at and try and regulate? Or is it quite kind of free and liberal in terms of what rules actually apply to the uses and creation of these applications? applications? So I think um, for this part of the world, it will be more of um, regulatory from professional bodies and not the government because it's not disrupting anything yet. So it's until it becomes, to, until it starts disrupting, then the government you know, begins to set its focus on that. But what you find is the professional regulatory bodies, you know, in this part of the world, there's still very, very strict rules about advertising, about practicing law, about you know, lawyers being in the public. It's still guided by very conservative rules about non-lawyers offering legal services. So your tech company, why you're offering legal services. So what you find is um, regulate um, professional blowback in some instances. But I'll use Nigeria for the uh, example. It's evolving. Um, recently, the Nigerian Bar Association actually just conducted an innovation competition where they actually awarded um, cash prize and legal services to startups, you know, including legal tech, mostly legal tech. But you go to some countries, um, and I'll use an example, Ghana, and you find there's still a bit of a pushback. If you're not a lawyer, you shouldn't be doing this. If you're a non-lawyer, you shouldn't be um, providing legal services. So it's more professional than regulatory. I guess where regulation will come from is, for instance, if you look at things like the ODR platforms, legal tech in terms of ODR, there will be more adoption if there was a regulatory buy-in. Right. So people have come up with those great technologies and these great startups that allow people to um, settle disputes efficiently. But there's no enforcement bite. And the only way there can be that enforcement is is if there was a regulatory adoption. So if one of the the courts said, okay, we, you could bring your the and you could you know you could make it a court judgment, a judgment of the court, that would really help. So I think more is um, as against regulatory prohibition, it would be great if there was regulatory buy-in and regulatory support. 
And why do you think that there's maybe been some reluctance to do that? Is it because some of the, let's say, professional bodies or courts, they don't understand the technology? Or do they? Do you think they also might see it as a threat to some of their functions and role? So it's a mix of everything, like with everything, <laughs> you know, so there is the part of not understanding, you know, um, some people are open to understanding. Some people are just like, I don't know it. I don't understand it. And I don't want to know it. And there's also the fear of the unknown. What happens if we adopt this? Does this make us useless? Will people lose their jobs or will there be any use of this institution? So there's, it's a mix of both, right? Will it result in loss of revenue for the courts? You know, mm. so it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of this. And I think, you know, as um, a legal tech, um, you know, with my role at Hill, talking to startups that are working on different things, one of the things I try to encourage is when you have a solution that needs some form of judicial or regulatory buy-in, you also look, you need to look for ways where it becomes a win-win, where the court or, you know, the lawyer see how it will help them. And when you're able to come with that win-win, it's an easier sell to get the buy-in. You need to um, scale your solution. Moving now to looking at the demand side. So are legal tech solutions popular among the public or parts of the public? And do you think they're having a positive impact on access to justice issues in West Africa? Yeah, um, so there's an emergence of um, a lot of freelancers and remote work in this part. Um, As you know, Africa has a huge young population. And a lot of them are beginning to, with the world being more global and, you know, be also accelerated by the pandemic, there are more people having remote jobs working, you know, you could be in Nigeria and you're working for a company in Germany, or you could be a freelancer that is offering, you know, a branding or content writing thing. So most of those young people and startups are quick to adopt legal tech because they then need contracts. They need different legal solutions for what they're doing. So in that demography of people that are online, of people that are doing remote jobs, there's a quick adoption and an open adoption to legal tech. Now, if you go uh, more mass market, you know, less people, the, the people that are not not many of them are able to get access to data. No, it's a more difficult sell because it's like the Maslow's pyramid, <laughs> the hierarchy, the Maslow's hierarchy. So there's you know some more essentials you really want to adopt before you go into legal tech. But I think, like I said, you know my my my, my thinking and I believe strongly is that. It's all a matter of time. You know, the same using the Maslow's hierarchy, when some needs are met, things like legal tech will then be adopted and will be more, will be also seen as integral at a certain level. In terms of access to justice, though, solutions from legal tech, are there any examples that you can give us of particularly good solutions that have been developed? maybe by your own companies as well, that would be fine. But yeah, can you give us kind of any good examples of legal tech, which is actually helping to solve the access to justice issue? Absolutely. And of course, I'm going to be biased. I'll be giving quite a number from the hill. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my favorites is actually from Uganda because they've done a lot. It's called Barefoot Law. It started as a Facebook page, but, you know, from Facebook page, you have SMS. So it's basically the use of all types of technology to meet people. Um, One of the reasons why I like Barefoot Law is because it uses a lot of low tech as well. So the reach, you really can call it access to justice because there is a wide reach 
regardless of your status or regardless of your techno or the level of technology you have. So I really like Barefoot Law. Another one that I find interesting is called um, Versicash. What Versicash does is they're able to integrate with um, e-commerce sites or integrate with payments websites to provide both an escrow solution and an ODR mechanism. So for you have a lot of um, social commerce in this part of the world, people who buy stuff from Instagram, you know, you'll find a lot of small businesses, they don't have a website, but they have a very active Instagram page that leads into their WhatsApp and it conducts a lot of business through that. So you have something like Versicash is able to integrate with that. And so it's less disputes about money. You don't need to get to court. So it's a pre- I like the fact that it prevents disputes. I'm very pro preventative solutions so when there are no disputes then you know it's more access to justice when people don't have a reason to have to spend to then um, solve for justice so i really like versicash as well of course there are also solutions that provide um access to you want to set up a business maybe you want to set up a register company diy law being one of them and another of my favorites that i am not talking about my startup is a startup called legal box legal box it's new They're, they're really new but i'm excited about what they're doing a legal box so legal box integrates getting legal services legal documents and it's integrated with an escrow solution and it's integrated with payments so in the same box you're setting up your contract you're putting your payment link in it and yeah if the two sides of the business if you're interested you then also integrate an escrow all in one flow so i really like that about what you're doing i think it's uh, it's relevant to this part of um, the world. Yeah, so I think those are the ones like I'm really excited. They're quite a number, but those are the ones that come to my head <laughs> right now. You know, sounds great. And I think um, really important, like you say, that there is kind of preventative measures to stop things becoming disputes in the first place. And also, you know, thinking about some the app that you mentioned, which can helps with payments through Instagram and WhatsApp. I mean, that just sounds super useful and less hassle for a lot of people, small businesses, I guess, as well. So I can really see how these are good and why you've chosen them as examples I don't know so much about West Africa, but in many other parts of the world, many legal tech startups are supported by private equity funding. Is this also something that is the case in West Africa? And do you think that there are any problems with private equity funding, funding legal startups, for instance, around access to justice issues or social concerns more generally? I really like this question because this is a question that like has bothered me even before now so like with most places if you're looking for funding to build your startup yeah you go to private equity venture capital but when you're trying to get venture capital funding what the investor wants is quick returns you know what's your growth what is that scale and if your solution is an access to justice solution it is not likely that you're going to have at least in this part of the world you're going to have um, you'll be compromising one for the other if you want to have that um, quick growth, and then it's okay to... We've been in the situation, it's a situation I found myself in with Gawailo, and it's why we eventually did not get um, venture capital funding, because um, the venture capital, there were suggestions from some of the investors we started speaking with, like, okay, do this, do this, but which we started, and we just thought this goes against the grain of why we started the company, you know, let's keep growing organically. So I, um, I do see 
private equity funding as a challenge because if you're talking access to justice then you would have to compromise on certain things in order to be able to satisfy that fast growth which is a legitimate need if you're raising funds for returns and it only makes sense for you to want some certain returns that's one of the things we also noticed at Hill and we're trying to solve for us so in the past where we stopped our support was the accelerator at Hill who you know we will give a support but um, Hill is currently working on an innovative innovation growth fund that will be launched hopefully Q1 next year. And the idea is to be able to invest in some of these companies that we have supported. So this is an investment fund that understands the markets, that understands that access to justice is not going to give you, it's not going to necessarily be that fast growth, but a fund targeted at growing the sector without compromising why it exists. Sure, it sounds like a really interesting and useful intervention. Just in terms of the private equity funding that exists already, is much of it coming from other countries or other parts of the world into West Africa? Or is there private equity funding that is coming from, I suppose, local or people who are already in and companies in West Africa? It's a mix. So initially, I was mostly from Africa, you know, angel, mostly angel investments and very few visas. But, you know, the tipping point was when um, African startups started getting into Y Combinator. And then, you you know, it kind of um, de-risked the continent. So you find a lot of investments coming globally now, whether it's Africa or whether it's outside Africa. And there's uh, some form of bullishness about Africa because, you know, there's a huge population, there's a gro- there's a young population, there's an emerging population that is, you know, moving into being more financially, um, with more, more disposable income to be able to adopt technologies. So you find that um, it's a good mix of both local investors and then um, international funding as well. Great. Thanks very much for giving us a bit more information about that. We touched upon this a bit earlier with regards to attitudes of lawyers and courts to legal tech and also professional bodies, some of whom are quite interested in legal tech, some of whom maybe less so or a bit uh, concerned about it. Do you think that legal tech will disrupt lawyers' functions or the courts' functions as it continues? And do you think that there are any uh, aspects of legal tech which alter the professional ethics of lawyers, judges, etc., or the existing professional ethics that they have? I think it would be um, quite naive for any sector to think that at some point technology isn't going to disrupt. It's only a matter of when and how soon it will happen. Of course, the legal tech sector, or especially in this part of the world, might be one of the last to be disrupted, but it definitely is going to happen. And um, so it's when the people in the sector see it as how do we use it to provide better services, how do we use it to meet the needs of our clients and make um, legal and justice more accessible to people. Most of the legal tech around now, apart from those that are access to legal services or those that um targeting small businesses, you find that quite a number of the legal tech, especially the ones that are successful in quotes, are those that make lawyers more efficient, right? Because the lawyers can afford to pay for the legal tech services. So basically, they're making life easier for the lawyers. But the question is, are they making life easier for everybody, for the people on the street? Oftentimes, actually, they are on varying ends. If it's making 
life easier for the lawyers is probably not making life easier <laughs> for the client. So um, in a manner of speaking, you will find that I, I believe that a lot of lawyers will not mind and will be quick to adopt things that make them more efficient, that help them, you know, get more clients, that help them um, do things faster in order to be able to sign up more clients. So yes, I think that um, the legal profession will be open. When it comes to the judiciary, however, it's a bit of a more that's going to be a bit slower because it's likely not going to be adopted. Even, you know, judges are very, very, you know, everywhere, very conservative and all of that. So um, I'm, I don't think that's going to be that quick in terms of the judiciary. Um, you look at a place like Nigeria and even recording, electronic recording is still a challenge, right? So there's still some manual recording. Most courts still use manual recorders and all of that. So I think that's like a long hill that is going to take a while <laughs> to, to get there. But what, what, what you notice about most technologies in Africa is it's slow to adopt and then it looks like it, it then you just have like that hockey stick. It goes like really, really fast. So it's that CP point and then it happens. So um, I, I, I do know that at some point there will be that adoption. When you talk about ethics, though, um, I think this is something with everything technology, proponents, um, developers, company builders, you have to be guided by the ethics. So you have to be guided by data protection. You have to be guided by is your, is the AI solution ethical enough? Is it something that is going to lead to biases? Um, this is people's lives <laughs> when it comes to legal tech, when it comes to justice, it's people's lives at stake. So you don't want to have a predictive technology that has biases involved. So I think it's a lot of responsibility for people who are building legal tech solutions, people who are building access to justice solutions. So make sure that before making any technology um, mass market, that it has gone through a lot of reiterations and involvement, that there's a lot of diversity in building such technologies because it's when you have a diverse team, then you're able to take into cognizance, you know, different viewpoints, different um, attributes. The, the responsible thing to do is have a lot of diversity when coming up with the solutions, especially the AI machine learning solutions that, you know, do a lot of predictive things so that we don't end up, you know, having the wrong people in jail <laughs> for, the wrong, for the wrong reasons, you know. I follow a lot of AI conversation. I follow, you know, um, I, I, I read a lot about some, I can't remember the name of the solution in the U.S. court now that ranks black people very high on the on the um, likelihood of committing a crime. So when the judge is then given the penalty because you look like, because the AI has predicted that you're likely to be a repeat offender, even though you're a first-time offender, you then get a longer sentence. So things like that we need to be very responsible when building such technologies. Yes, exactly. They really should be addressing these issues of discrimination rather than contributing to them. So we've touched a bit upon the future for legal tech uh, previously, but let's look at it squarely. What do you think the future of legal tech activities are going to be in West Africa or in Africa over the next few years? And how important do you think these developments are going to be? Again, I'm going to refer to um, the Maslow's hierarchy. I think legal tech is also going to take that same trajectory. So I think um, because Africa is a developing nation, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of poverty. 
the solutions that are going to be adopted at the beginning are things that empower people, and which is why you find that right now you find a lot of um, just um, relatively successful legal tech solutions in this part of the world are those that help people do business faster, are those that help people with employability. So those are the access to justice solutions because really that is a priority for most people. But as economies get better, as they get more stable, you then find that um, this is time to make sure that systems improve. And that's when you find that there will be, I, I believe that at that point in time, you'll find more focus on things that make the judiciary more efficient, things that focus on improving um, predictive technology, things that are more about, so at this point in time, you're looking at, okay, how do we really decongest the jails? How, how do we help the courts make more e efficient decisions? Things like discovery solutions um, that are like commonplace in other parts of the world, but you know, I, I'm not sure that, to my knowledge, I don't know of any discovery um, legal tech solution in Africa. Let me say West Africa, just so that I'm not um, putting a blanket there. So I think it's all a matter of time. The legal tech solutions will um, evolve as the economy evolves. So it will meet the needs. It will be a response to the needs of people. So um, I do think that, like with everything else, at a certain time, legal tech will definitely take off. It is in the early stages. It is in the emerging stages. It is difficult to raise funds for legal tech right now, <laughs> but some t at some point when all the financial inclusion is done and the fintechs have successfully solved the problem, when the health, you know, when, when the basic things like health, shelter are solved, I am very sure that legal tech will also make its own incursion in the society. <laughs> Thanks so much, Odun. Now to finish, three more quick questions. I will start the sentence and you can finish it. Technology alone does not lead to more or better access to justice because... People make technology and people make mistakes. <laughs> Legal tech is still risky because... Again, because of people, the influence of humans, the influence of what you put in and what you program, garbage in, garbage out. So legal tech is still risky if you don't input the right things. <laughs> and finally, the rule of law rules because... The rule of law brings opportunities. The rule of law, when implemented, brings equality and fairness. Thank you very much for joining us today, Odun, and sharing insights about legal tech in Africa and West Africa and Nigeria. <laughs> Thank you very much, Angela. I have really enjoyed the conversation, even though I felt I knew some of these answers, but talking to you helped me think through some of um, my experiences and what I see, and it's really, really been a good conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. been listening to an episode of the legal tech series of the rule of law rules podcast with me angela daly and our guest odun longe in the show notes you can find out more about odun links to her activities and more information about the conrad adenauer foundation and its rule of law program which this podcast is part of please be sure to subscribe to our channel where we will release new rule of law rules episodes at the end of every month if you like this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data log geek friends about us too. I hope you have enjoyed our podcast. See you next time.